0: This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform. I am with April Blackford, and you can see my dog, Kira, in the background right there. Um, Kira, say hi! You know, hopefully, Kira won't end up barking somewhere in the middle of the podcast like she, she normally does. April, do you want to say hi to everyone?
1: Hi, everyone. And I also wanted to tell Lindsay Sims happy birthday.
0: Well, there we go. Yes, happy birthday. Um, she's one of our first people. She's an OG. Yes. She is a definite OG, um, which seems sort of funny for us to say that, right? Though I am wearing camouflage. So, you know, <laughs> and I think that maybe makes me kind of badass. I just, um,
1: had to go, I just had to go a little feminine today,
0: you know. Like pretty much every other <laughs> podcast for the last three years.
1: No, feminine with like Barbie pink rather than like badass black.
0: That's true. That's true. Um, We do have a lot of new people um, obviously joining Eat to Perform right now, so that's a pretty exciting time. We have more people in this webinar than we've had um, in a very long time. What a lot of people that are watching it right now should probably realize is that you can see not only this recording, but you can see all the recordings um, for the last three years by just going to our YouTube channel at eatperform.com. This also gets published as a podcast um, probably tomorrow morning. I, you know, It depends on when I can get to do it. It's not hard to do necessarily, but sometimes my computer gets a little finicky. So I kind of gave like this of what the, the topic um, would be tonight. April sort of knows um, what we're going to talk about in the beginning here, um, but almost no one else does. And so um, that is going to be kind of interesting for people. I told the E staff to sign on to check out this webinar because we were going to talk about some interesting stuff. So, rather than getting into all the specifics, I'm going to give a very um, kind of succinct answer to this question. But basically, from this point forward, each reform is going to be employee-owned. And what that means is is that I'm going to give um, a large portion of Eat to Perform as a gift to the people who built it. Um, and I believe in this idea because, well, one, you know, I'm not in this for Ferraris. You know, I'm in this for um, all of the people that, you know, trust us, you know, to, to see results and, and to get, you know, um, you know a positive experience from from what we do and so for the last three years um we had a lot of people <laughs> that have, have put up with a lot of a lot of bull from me i mean a lot of a lot of a lot of people don't realize that like startups you know this is pretty standard for startups i mean if you're not familiar with startups um i i you know, just to sort of explain it, I was talking to Suzanne before this because we were having um, the first week of Monday, we have an OG's meeting with the, the. there's like four uh, moderators. I mean, literally a year and a half ago, we had less than 10 staff members. Um, and so to stay in touch with those people, I meet with them um, every month at 6 p.m. first at six, you know, um, the first weekend of uh, the first week of every month, sorry. So I was talking to Susan April about it. um, And she's like, I don't understand what this means. You know, Um, I I, I don't know why I keep trying to do Southern accents, it just doesn't work for me. I guess I've just been in the North too long. Yeah, because your Southern accents are horrible.
1: But I will pardon you a little bit because Tom says that every accent I attempt sounds like a
0: pirate, sir. So. <laughs> <Arrgh. laughs> um. So Suzanne, she's like, I don't understand what this means. You know, um, am I going to have to pay for ETH to perform? And, you know, Jill was with me. I said, this is the easiest way to explain it. I said, let's say Reebok buys us for half a billion dollars. They're going to have to cut you a check for a million dollars. Speaking to Suzanne. Obviously, every employee is going to be different. Um, you know, we have different levels. Um, I, I did want to say, you know, uh, I did say to Suzanne like five seconds after that, I was like, don't just go and like, buy my ties on a beach somewhere because April ain't gonna let me sell e to form anytime soon um but I, there is no selling eat to perform i mean it's just you know eat to perform is us you know and it's our relationships with you guys and so you know someone buying us you know it wouldn't take them more than five minutes to realize that without us there is no eat to perform and that's where this decision came in was because eat to perform is not me Need to perform is all the people that you guys interact with on a daily basis. And I want those people to know, you know, um, how much I am thankful for, you know, what they've been able to do. And, and, you know, specifically April, obviously, you know, um, has been kind of a big part of, of what we've become, but, you know, there's literally, you know, 50, 60 people that um, make a difference for you guys on a daily basis. And I, I, think, I think, you know, when you're part of an organization like this that, that is, is, is kind of small. I mean, it, it's small, but, you know, I mean, people know who we are, you know, like big people in the industry know who we are, you know. Um, we have almost as many fans as My Fitness Pal, as an example on Facebook, you know, um, we routinely get more engagement than big brands like CrossFit, you know? So, um, so yeah, it's kinda, it's kinda cool that people are interested in in what we have to say. I think the, um, you know, the thing that about, you know, having a business like this and, you know, I didn't, you know, the first time I'd heard someone say this was, was Steve Jobs. Um, and, you know, it might have been in the Steve Jobs movie and and basically he said for, um, for me to win, someone has to lose. You know, and, you know, if you look at Apple, you know, becoming what they became, IBM had to lose in that scenario. You know, um, the diet industry we'll need to lose, you know, once we mature into what I know we can be because nobody's saying, even to this day, I mean, people will say what we're saying. They're just not as maybe belligerent about it as we tend to be, you know, just because we just know one way to success and that's sustainable. That's long-term. That's, you know, I had a woman ask me um, this weekend, um, you know, uh, you know, with Eat to Reform, where do I start? I said, well, how many calories do you eat on a daily basis? And she goes, I have no idea at all. I was like, start there. <laughs> you know, I think that a lot of people, that, especially people that are coming to dieting right now, you know it's the new year everybody's you know really you know focused on that right now but they don't know you know what they've been eating or why they've been eating it or whatever right and to a certain extent that lack of information is what keeps them in the same cycle of constantly being lost and the way that we try to provide information you know, is what I think differentiates us from from other people. But it, you know, it does require some level of patience for people, so we can kind of move on from there. You have any any thoughts, my my brand new business partner?
1: I was already your business partner. What are you talking about? <laughs> I think I think it's very awesome, and you know, you and like what she said, you know, it just you know, it goes to show we're not in it for Ferraris, you know, I drive a Volkswagen Rabbit because it gets 35 miles to the gallon, you know, come on, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's ride or die, you know, we're going to, you know, say, save each person, you know, at a time. And that's mm-hmm. the thing for me is I take a vested interest in, you know, each and every person. And, you know, a lot of the people that I'm that I've been working with have, you know, been getting great success and they're, you know, spreading it to everyone, to the newbies, you know, don't be afraid. They've, they've learned so much and it's now they're, you know, it's, it's almost like they're kind of passing down their knowledge and things like that. And I think it's great for all the scared new people to see, you know, I think it's awesome.
0: Yeah. Cause I think, you know, you know, I was talking to Brad about this the other day um, where, you know, once you start to seek out information um, it becomes very addictive and you know, once you know, once you like master one thing, you're like, wow, I, I didn't know that. I figured that out and I got a result. I wonder if there's other things, you know, that I can sort of figure out. And then, you know, we're all human, you know. I mean, I, I, I stumble over the sleep hurdle fairly often, you know. And every now and again, I have to kind of whip myself back into shape and make sleep a priority again. And, 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 you know, that just kind of is what it is. Um, so we started off with that. I, you know, I have been kind of doing like the story. You know, April mentioned the ride or die thing, like three podcasts back towards the, the end of the podcast. We, we talked about ride or die. And so if you want to go check that out, I don't, I don't even know which one that one is. So maybe somebody could post that into the off topic group um, if people want to watch that. Um, so one of the topics that I brought up today was the idea of people um, kind of sneak disrespecting themselves where they'll say oh you know i feel so fat today um but now that i'm on eat to perform you know blah 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 right and the idea being that, you know, they took like this negative thing and then they kind of curbed it with, but now I'm to form, so it's okay that I say these, these horrible things to myself. And I made the argument that for you to get better, you not only have to stop other people from saying things to you, but you have to stop playing those tapes. In your own head. So, most people know that, um, you know, I have been sober for, um, you know, like 29 years coming up here in a few weeks. And um, in that process, you know, I went through a fair amount of psychotherapy and, you know, found out a lot about myself. And, you know, a lot of what you guys see, you know, the fact that I can, like, basically, you know, to tell you guys everything um, comes from my experience with therapy and the things that I sort of figured out and and sort of you know walking through some difficult relationships. And so, you know, one of the things about difficult relationships is you get into kind of these slippery situations with people, and you don't always know how to kind of handle those situations and so the the situation that I'm going to talk about now I'm gonna let you guys know um this is my dad you know if my dad were to hear this my dad would not be upset (laughs) by me talking about this because my dad has come to peace with a lot of these things in my therapy you know, my dad and and my relationship, um, April April met my dad in New York. um, And so clearly there's no um, negative type of stuff that um, between my dad and I. But, uh, you know, at some point I had to stand up for myself. And, uh, you know, when I did that, it allowed me to move on and you know the thing about being careful because like one of the things that somebody said was you know people are negative to them in real life and the problem that you run into is you're going to have to encounter like for instance you're going to encounter your uncle at Thanksgiving you know well you know suffering through your uncle you know, through Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter ain't that big a deal, you know? Um, but if your uncle is a negative person in your life on a day to day basis, that's going to wear on you. And, you know, you're going to have to stand your ground. And so I'll just give you an example of, of what happened. So my dad and I we were gambling. Um, which, you know, it's sort of funny because a lot of people know that, you know, I used to play poker professionally. Um, but ironically, I didn't really gamble all that much, you know, things outside of, of poker. Um, and we were, we were doing sort of a Martingale system. It's hard to explain. Martingale is basically um, you double your bets and the way that most people do it um, it it it's a foolproof play of, way of winning, as long as you have millions of dollars. But the reasons why tables have like maximum bets is so you can't get to that point. And if you don't understand, you know the intricacies of splitting or all these other things, then you can sort of run into problems. And part of the problem with the Martingale system is that you'll have, you know, like $2,000 on the line to win 50 bucks. (laughs) And so, so that gets to be sort of brutal after a while. But my dad and I, you know, we, we, we were doing this. Um, I I was young at that time, but I was, I was pretty smart as it relates to math and things of that nature. And so uh, we were you know, going to casinos throughout the Midwest, um, traveling. We were we went and played golf in Luton, Minnesota, and then we went to Chicago. And in that process, I think we won somewhere around fifteen to twenty thousand um, dollars. And you know, we were you know feeling pretty good about that. It was the most you know we had ever won. My dad has a kind of a bad history with gambling. And that's a little bit of the story here. Um, for myself, you know, when I looked at the fifteen to twenty thousand dollars, I looked at it like, "Wow, fifteen twenty thousand dollars!" You know, that's a lot of money. Um, I didn't view it as um, anything other than a lot of money. And that was one of the things that allowed me to be good at poker: is that you know I can make decisions, you know, based on um, rational thought rather than Kind of constantly chasing losses and things of this nature, and so we got to um, Aurora, Illinois. Um, I remember it like I think it was a Hollywood Casino, and we were you know I remember yeah you know, I remember a lot about this because it was a big big night, and uh, we were on the third floor and we were playing blackjack and uh, like like my dad just kind of lost his mind you know. Um, and we lost all the money, you know, and when I say we lost all the money, my dad lost all the money, you know, um, chasing, you know, the money throughout the process. And I wasn't really, I was sort of divorced from it. It wasn't, you know, it was kind of easy money and and it went away easy. So it really didn't bother me all that much. And so the next day we went, um, to, uh, to watch the Chicago Cubs, and I mean, it was we'd never been to Wrigley Field. Um, should have been kind of a cooler moment. Uh, I was in college at that time, and the way that I was making my money, I would go to Chicago routinely for baseball, um, selling baseball memorabilia. But whenever I would sell baseball memorabilia at the night in the the um, daytime, I would often sell Bulls tickets, Bears tickets you know, whatever at night, um, scalping. And what, the way that I would do that is I would go to ticket brokers, um, you know, around the area, a lot of which didn't have, um, the means to buy expensive tickets. And so, um, I would buy, you know, anytime they would, you know, get a, a, a buyer, um, or somebody selling them tickets and they couldn't afford to buy the tickets, I would buy them and give them a little bit of a cut. Long story short, um, at one point, I think my dad ended up buying some tickets for me. Um, we, I ended up walking away with a couple thousand dollars um, for that event. We sat behind home plate, you know, It was still kind of awkward in the air. Um, But, you know, we were able to get through it, sort of enjoy it. It, You know, having that black cloud from the the blackjack the night before was kind of a negative. Um, But we were able to sort of get through it. And, you know, because I was making my living. Scalping tickets now. I'm sure my dad does have a little different version of this story. That's just kind of how these things work, right? Um, And he he might be the the hero in his story. I don't know Um, And I'm sure he has a different point of view. You can ask him You'll probably see him at each form summer camp or something else because like I said my dad and I we get along We can even talk about situations like this fairly openly Um, so driving you know, back to Minnesota and my dad is still messed up in the head, you know, similar to a lot of people that lose gambling where they chase these losses um, about the money that he had lost. And so, you know, from his perspective, he lost $20,000 and I I actually think um, we did end up losing money. but it wasn't a lot. We didn't have a lot to lose. We just had, you know, um, you know, our winnings and then we kind of went in the hole. So my dad says to me, he's like, "Are we going to split up the money from the the Cubs game?" And I was like, "I don't I don't know what you mean." He's like, "Well, didn't we make money from the Cubs game?" I'm like, "I don't know what you mean by we, you know, um, that's how I make my living. You know, I, 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 get through college, you know, um, brokering tickets and, um, I mean, it was well known at that point that that's what I did, you know? And I mean, it wasn't like I, you know, I was like super baller or anything like that, but I, you know, I got by, you know, um, and, uh, you know, I don't know if I, you know, I've been using the F word a little too much, so I'm not going to use the F word. Um but I was like, Dad, I'm not I'm not I'm not giving you any of this money. I'm I pay rent with this money, man. <laughs> you know. Um my wife is, you know, counting, you know, she might have been my girlfriend actually at that time. I said, but my girlfriend's counting on this money, you know, I can't give it to you because you lost it in blackjack. You know, and he starts getting hot about it. And at one at one point, um, you know, and, and this was a difficult situation. I think I think if anybody's ever been in therapy or, 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 you know, um, you know, this is, this is the classic slippery situation that causes a lot of people to fall back and then their relationships get hurt and they end up drinking and and all this other type of stuff. But, you know, what my dad said to me at that point, um, as we were, we were going, he said, you know, the reason the fact that you won't split that money with me when I lost my money—that's the reason you'll be a loser for the rest of your life. And I said, "What did you just say to me, man?" Um, and he said, "He said you heard me. He's like, you—you know—you keep that up, and you're gonna be a loser for the rest of your life." I was like, "Hit the brakes right now." He's like. What do, you, what do you mean? I was like, I'm getting out of this car. You know, um, I was like, you have talked to me like that for a long time. That shit's over. I said, you're the only person in the whole world that thinks that about me, man. I was like, everybody else looks at me and sees somebody that's gonna turn into somebody amazing. You know, I said, but you, You are caught up in this paradigm, you know, with kind of a lot of stuff from, you know, whatever it is you need to deal with. But if you don't know that you can't talk to your son that way, you know, now, and I'm telling you, stop the car. I'm getting out, you know, and I get out and I can't remember exactly how it happened, you know, but, you know, I started walking along the road. Um, you know, it was probably half hour, you know, you know, he came back, you know, and he's driving and, you know, I apologize. And, you know, it was wrong for me to say that. And, you know, we ended up driving all the way to Minnesota, but and it, it was kind of quiet. It wasn't like it was over. It wasn't like it was good. You know, it wasn't like it was all awesome from that point on, but, there were moments that you remember in your life where you stood up for yourself. And that was one of those moments that I had to have with my dad. And it was in a yucky situation. It was in a horrible, you know, slippery slope where a lot of people would fail in, in the case of, you know, drug addict, drug addicted person or drinking, you know, they might end up drinking in that scenario. I didn't, you know, And it ended up working out, you know, okay. My dad and I, I wouldn't say that my dad and I had, you know, a great relationship from that moment on, you know, I I certainly remember um, it was sort of cold for a while there, but it was really cold from my standpoint. You know, I, I I just needed to move on from sort of an oppressive way of thinking. And that was not the first time I'd been hit with the loser thing. You know what I mean? Um, I definitely been hit with the loser thing many times before that. But what I think is sort of interesting about that is that a lot of people will stand up for themselves in that scenario. And they'll go, yeah, you shouldn't talk to me like that. And they would be right on. Yet they'll play those tapes and they don't think twice about it. And that's worse. Somebody else saying something about you, well, you can be sort of divorced from that. You know, Um, at that point, I was 100 percent ready to be done with my dad. You know, now (laughs) we all have family, so we all know how that works. But I live in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad lives in Louisiana, you know, Um, and so. You know, we don't often get together. So to have a, like a conflict like this was, was really kind of a big deal. But I think that going into the new year, you know, there's always a lot of parallels that we talk about. You know, you know, I'm a big believer. I, I talk a lot about, you know, my addiction um, and, and, you know, the relationship to food and, and things of this nature. And, you know, the first five years – of getting sober um, was you know enlightening to me i found out a lot about myself it was really super helpful but after that point i sort of had to move on to become who i was supposed to be and you know irrespective i mean i, I still love seeing my friends that are sober and, and and things of that nature i still it's one of the greatest things you know i've greatest gifts i've given to myself but Um, I don't believe what a lot of people believe about addiction and the best way to describe it is, um, I believe that, you know, the best way to say it, I heard this recently was the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And when you look at the five years and roughly 25 years since then, what I did was I built like this life where I connect with people. I connect with you guys, right? Um, and I believe that, you know, that sheer journey of, of love and support, you know, is what makes all of us, you know, and that's, you know, I think you see that, you know, in the way that we, you know, talk to, you know, the people that, you know, members of Eat form, but also we encourage you guys to to talk to each other that way. So, um, I know, you know, that really doesn't have a lot to do with chicken and kale. Um, but at the end of the day. Most people have the problem that I'm talking about rather than the chicken and the kale problem. Um, I don't think that a lot of people explore to the depths that they need to. I don't know if we talked about this, but um, I know April and I did previous to being on this call, but, you know, really what we do with Eaton Forum is we kind of, Try to take away a lot of the hurdles for you guys so you can um, get to some level of success. But we do that by giving you information, information about yourself that you didn't know. And in that process, I think almost everyone wants more information. Because when you can, like, pick one little piece and then master that, you know, like sleep, you know having your sleep in order and having a routine, you know, there's a lot of people that will say, well, just go to complete darkness and turn off all your screens and and stuff like that. It's like, what if I work till nine o'clock? You know, what, what if, you know, my kids got a tummy ache, you know, there's, there's all these things that happen in life that I don't think a lot of these absolute you know it's it's these really rigid system it's an example of another rigid system and we kind of always talk to people about rigid systems because what ends up happening with rigid systems is that you you hit that failure point with a rigid system and then you're off the rails and so we always argue that you know having rails is actually the problem and so rather than you know, looking for a perfect world where you can get to sleep exactly at 10 o'clock and kids don't have a tummy ache and your daughter doesn't come in the room at 2 a.m. You know, that's not reality for a lot of people. What's reality for a lot of people is working around that and trying to have some strategies for those types of things. And so what I think we do really Mm -hmm. well is we walk through people through their real life rather than Here's your book. Here's your list of naughty and nice foods. Go get them, kid. Oh, by the way, sleep's kind of important, and maybe you should exercise. You know, we we sort of break it down a little bit more in depth with that. And, and you know, we did a we did a um, podcast last week where we talked about you know some strategies for overwhelming. I, I think it was one of the best ones we'd ever done. You know, and if if you're you know, kind of, look, you know, here's the deal. I mean, when you start off with anything new, you know, eat the form, weight watchers, you know, whatever, um, there's a tax that needs to be paid. It can be a little confusing. It can be a little bit overwhelming. And so, you know, breaking in it down into small pieces sort of makes a difference for a lot of people. But, you know, um, what I think we try to do is not discount things into being too simplistic or to say, well, you know, your willpower was weak and, and things of that nature. I think there's a lot of shaming that goes on. It was sort of interesting. I don't know if you saw like the responses to my Oprah article. Um, what I thought was sort of crazy. Cause there's like two different worlds, right? There's like the slot world, Where everybody sort of knows me, you know, and then there's the Facebook world, which is millions of people. And, you know, a lot of them are kind of angry Um, and and, um, but like Oprah's thing, if not now, when, you know, I just pointed out that that was an ultimatum and people are like, well, I don't see it as an ultimatum. I mean. It is 100% an ultimatum, you know, she's saying to you, you know, you've had poor habits, you know, whatever those habits are, um, you've got to fix them now. And I could not disagree with that more. I think that's the reason why Oprah has failed all these years. You know, I really feel like, you know, I mean, I think we can all agree, you know, that Oprah is one of the most beautiful people on the planet, right? If we said, you know, if we looked at, took physical beauty out of the picture, personally, I think I think Oprah is very physically beautiful woman. You know, I just think she's radiant, and I love confidence. And it always strikes me that she has confidence in every other piece of her life except for that one piece. Um, and I think... The reason why she does and if you've been around it before for a short period of time you don't know this yet but what you'll know is you're about to put the lego pieces in your life together and you're going to feel better as it relates to your relationship with food, your relationship with your family, your relationship with the gym, your relationship with lots of things. And it doesn't solve every problem immediately. That's sort of what I think my argument would be against the Oprah thing. You know, is that what she's saying is pull off the band-aid as soon as possible. You know, I mean... The science does not back up what Oprah's saying that, you know, your, your health is poor because you're carrying, you know, some fat on your body. And therefore, um, you know, you've got to solve that problem immediately. The science is very clear on this. Um, if you're inactive and people who under eat typically aren't as active, people who eat an adequate amount for what they do. If you're inactive compared to someone that's active with a similar body fat, the person that's active has health numbers off the charts compared to the inactive person, right? The reason why I think that that's important to say and I say it a lot is because it allows you to be patient. Now, at the same note, okay? Some of you do have fat to use. And some of you are new to eat form. And you're going to ask me a question well, how am, I gonna, how am I going to lose weight eating this amount of food? Well, I guess it sort of depends on were you overeating when you came into eat 3 form? I think a lot of people would go, yes, I was, because I have more fat on my body than I would like. Well, if you were overeating, and you eat your total daily energy expenditure you'll lose weight but the problem is is you weren't overeating and you kind of know it right and so what ends up happening is yes getting your metabolism heading in the right direction you know there's going to require a little bit of patience and it's going to require a little bit of faith on your part that your body from an evolutionary standpoint actually is a little bit smarter than you are you know and if you take that process you know and sometimes people will go well you know i don't want to gain weight we can do it where you don't gain weight but you're going to have to be more patient and you're not going to be able to look at your fat loss goals as quickly as you'd like, right? So let's say that you were under eating, you know, um, and at this point, you know, I'm going to be boring a lot of the people that have been hearing this for the last three years, but there's a lot of people that are new, so I'm just going to kind of run through it real quick. You know, you've been eating 1,200 calories. It's going to take you a while, you know, to get up to where you want to go. Well, you know, if you're willing to gain, you know, two to three pounds, maybe three to five pounds, depending on what you weigh, you know, then you can sort of get there a little quicker. If every time you gain a pound or two, you freak out, well, it's probably a little bit smarter for you to be a little bit more patient. Um, I think one of the best things about ether reform, and once again, you know, my dog makes the podcast. Um, I tell my kids every single time take take her collar off. Because then, you know, when she shakes, like nobody would know. Um, But the most underrated aspect of fat loss, and almost nobody talks about this. When you ask people, they say, well, I want to lose fat and I want to gain muscle. Okay, awesome. The only problem is unless you were just eating like a moron, you weren't training, you know, Then that's kind of not possible. If you've been working out, if you've been, this isn't your first diet rodeo, there needs to be some nuance to it, right? But what most people don't realize is that if you've been eating 1,300 calories on and off for a while, and yeah, I know you had Dairy Queen that one time, and I know that you had, you know, wine at book club. Trust me, that's not the reason why you're carrying excessive fat on your body. One of the reasons why you're carrying excessive fat on your body is your metabolism compromise. You're supposed to have periods of up, periods of down. That's what allows your body to thrive. And oh, by the way, that is the lean mass that you supposedly want. But the problem is, is that everybody wants lean mass, but what they really want is to get rid of excessive fat. And bad news for you. You ain't going to be able to do it. You know, you have to have a concerted effort both ways. And I can break it down for you from a math standpoint where you can reach your goals relatively quickly doing both sides. But almost everyone struggles just going down. And then ultimately you set up just a bad hormonal experience within your body and you end up kind of getting stuck.
1: I think, I think Oprah is the prime example of, you know, filling at diets when you look at from the time that she started, you know, like even on television, the time that she started up at 10 now, just look at the different years of heavier, skinny, heavier, heavier, skinny, skinny, heavier, you know, she is the epitome of exactly what we teach about the wrong approach you know, because nothing she has ever done has been sustainable. So you can either yo-yo back and forth through the skinny, heavy, more fat, less fat, you know, or you can take a slower, sustainable lifetime approach, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, to be 100% clear, I absolutely believe that Oprah believes that she is lacking in will. Like, but once again, The science does not back that up. Once again, the science points to the fact that chronic dieters actually have much more willpower than regular people. Um, And so that sort of breaks that fallacy. But the problem that you run into is – when you go to the extremes, like Oprah is actually suggesting, and I know some people are going to take issue with that, but what she really is. I mean, she wants to she wants to solve a lifetime of problems. She believes that willpower is the issue. Look, here's the deal. I mean, you know, I'll tell you this. A lot of people are saying in the comments, and I, I've been very defensive about that because, you know, it, it starts to get to a point of fat shaming and stuff like that. And, I, you know, I just don't have any tolerance for that kind of stuff. Um, But at the same time, you know, people are sort of pointing out if Oprah has all the trainers in the world, if Oprah has, you know, chefs and all these things that allow her success, why is Weight Watchers going to be the thing? Right? I mean, you think this is her first rodeo? I'll tell you, Oprah stained the psyche. Of women all over the world with that don't eat anything after 6 p.m. nonsense you know that was really not based in any scientific evidence at all you know is based on anecdotal evidence the interesting thing about you know what what April what um Oprah was talking about at that time was based off of a study that talked about insulin um, and and hgh and, and kind of like the restorative hormones that happen when you sleep and that they they're they're they basically are antagonists against each other and so therefore if you don't have you know food you can end up you know leaning out and sort of irrespective of calories but i'm i'm, I'm sure you know the whole idea was to eat less at that time but what was the most interesting thing about the study that all that science was based on was that there were two groups. And the people that ate at night they maintained their muscle. And so while they didn't necessarily lose as much fat as the other people, they actually were in a better position than the people that you know, we're starting to see kind of their muscle atrophy and, and things of this nature, and so it was sort of interesting from that point. That was sort of the 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 flip side of that, you know. And I'm I'm sort of doing that from memory, um, but I remember there was two sides to that argument, and you know, since then, you know, the timing stuff has been debunked a million ways, and you know, virtually everyone at Eat Reform knows. You know, one, if, you know, you're full and you're not hungry going to bed, you sleep better. The deeper you sleep, you know, the more restorative sleep you have. And therefore, you know, um, the more your body can actually process the nutrients. You know, if you wake up after four hours because your cortisol you know, out of whack, you know, is that going to be better than, you know, Having, you know, a decent sized meal at 8 p.m. You know, with dessert and then sleeping the night through. And so, you know, the science always really shows that um, it comes down to, you know, calories in, calories out. I know that that's a little flawed, you know, from some people's perspective. But once again, that's a little overdone. The only way that you can really solve a puzzle is to take all pieces of data and analyze it for yourself. And so, you know, some people, you know, process fats better. Some people process carbohydrates better. I think both sides, you know, are, can be a little, you know, they don't test it enough, you know, to see what really works for them. And ultimately, they don't have activity as a priority in their life. You know, it's you know, it's fat loss is number one on the list, you know, and then it's family and then it's, you know, soccer and, and church, you know, whatever, you know, however it works for you. But fat loss is always here. And like, we're okay with fat loss being on the list. It's just the first thing all the time, you know, at some point, you know, you have to analyze the way that you think, you know, and, and change, you know, your point of view. Now, Everyone listening to this right now certainly is open to that idea. Otherwise, you wouldn't have bought Eat to perform. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't bought Eat to perform, you know, virtually, you know, there's 64 people watching this. There's only 100 people that can even be in it. Um, and all of them are members. And so we offer this up for members. Um, and, you know, we have similar classes to this on a daily basis we have our fundamentals we have our quick start program and and we have group coaching and you know depending on you know what you bought and why you know depends on kind of the size of the classes obviously our group coaching is is our you know kind of a elite package and you get you know a lot more attention you know um yeah um
1: on the subject of fat loss um, I had a, a group coaching call today with um, a new person and I was talking to her in regards to her training and, and goals and so forth and I said you know well you know what are your goals she had just started crossFit like a month ago and I was like all giddy and excited because I'm like oh we can like transform you quick you know you just have to listen listen to me you know we we can we can we can do big things yeah. and then I'm asking her I was asking her about her goals, and she's like, you know, you know, of course, you know, performance and you know, such as this. Well, then she got real quiet, and she said, and, you know, of course, you know, body composition, fat loss, and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was like, well, of course. I said, you know, we all want that. <laughs> I said, don't be embarrassed to, to say that that's what a goal is. I said, you know, to some extent, you know, we're all working towards looking better naked and, you know. Being a better person, and, you know, we all want to look good to some extent, so, you know, don't don't be embarrassed to say that that's one of your goals. It's everybody's goal,
0: you know. I mean, I, I, I actually think that, you know, one of the things that I get most concerned about with Eat Reform is that people do, you know, appreciate the food freedom part of it, um, and then often will overlook their goals, you know, their long-term goals. And so they'll come in and they might have some goals and we'll sort of walk them through the process of being a little bit patient and then they'll sort of neglect their goals Um, or we'll get, you know, them stabilized and we'll go through, you know, something like, you know, the gradually awesome approach or performance focused fat loss. And then, you know, they won't kind of, remember what started them on this path, right? And so, you know, I always bring up the fact that I was 230 pounds. I always bring up the fact that I'm 175 and have been so for about, you know, five years now. You know, the reason why is because there was definitely times where I was uncomfortable And, but it was short periods of time, the good majority of the time I was, you know, eating. I mean, there was, you know, there was certainly times where I was, was eating a lot of calories, a lot of food. Um, I think that's the other thing too, that sort of gets overdone is like, people think we're, we're all about like, you know, they, we want them to eat all the time, you know? Um, Once again, that doesn't reflect my journey, you know? when I first started off, you know, I was working out two times a day. Um, you know, I was certainly creating a deficit, but I was eating, you know, 3,500, 4,000 calories a day, some days. Um, but I was sick. I was kind of hurt. You know, I had always like, like a little something, something, you know, if you want to know if I eat, you know, a ridiculous amount of food or april eats a ridiculous amount of food on a daily basis we don't you know one of the reasons why we don't because we don't necessarily want to kill ourselves in the gym we don't necessarily like that doesn't fit our goals you know um we sort of know what works for us you know and i think for all of you you know i think there's a lot of people that think that they need to earn their food. You know, we haven't talked about this in a long time, but this is the time of year where everyone thinks that they need to earn their food. You know, I'm saying to you, if you were inactive and if you were stressed out and you weren't sleeping, let's start to fix those things. Let's get your food in order and then at the end of the day, we'll look at periods of focused fat loss and you know, I'm proof positive that, you know, that works. Um, and then, you know, it's sort of interesting because people think like I'm, I'm the only one or something, <laughs> you know. I mean, at this point, um, you know, I can speak fairly confident because we've had thousands of people come through here, you know. One of the best days for April and I is when we see someone that we worked with two years ago and they're still doing fine. You know, they figured it out, you know, um, I'm sort of glad that we've been able to create like the social culture that allows those people to stay around. Like I say to those people, when I see them, I'm like, man, you should really join science lab off topic or the meal planning group. You know, people would love you, you know? Oh yeah. I'm just too busy, you know? But the nice thing about what you guys are experiencing just coming in is you're experiencing a level of support, you know, that didn't exist two years ago. You know, it was eight of us and, you know, we were over our head, you know, and that was a little bit of kind of what we started talking about. And so, you know, I would challenge everyone, you know, I mean, part of what I'm able to do what what April does, you know, we don't dig these huge holes for ourselves, you know? Um, You know, I was at a gym recently, you know, I I stopped in there, I can't remember, it was like a, you know, a few friends of mine I know work out there, and they were going through the paleo challenge. And, you know, (laughs) everyone was kind of starving and angry. Um, And uh, I came back a couple months later um, and it was interesting because everybody was working out better but it was fairly clear you know people had kind of dropped into a lot of bad habits that's where the rigidity really works against people you know um, if you're gonna have beer occasionally have a plan for the beer you know if you're gonna have some pasta there's no reason why that can't help your goals at certain times but you know, when we're trying to focus on, you know, kind of addressing maybe a health issue for some people, it is a little bit of a health issue, right? But I mean, if if you were um, morbidly obese like I was, you know, doing anything was, you know, more than I was doing, you know. So just walking out the door was going to be better than what I was doing on a daily basis. You know, um, it wasn't that I had pizza on Fridays. It was that I had pizza on Tuesdays and I had Mexican on Wednesdays and, you know, I always ate, you know, I was actually in one of my group coaching calls today. I said, it was like amazing that I ever got to be obese because the level of energy and the level of excitement that I've, I've always walked through life this way. You know what I mean? Like, like I joke, you know, that no one should walk through the produce aisle with the level of intensity that I have about produce, you know, but I, that's the way I am about life. You know, I just like, you know, I just enjoy life, you know, and, uh, I think, uh, you know, for a lot of you guys, it's going to be really exciting. You know, Um, I think the thing that's going to be really different for you is you're not buying a system. April and I, yeah, man, we'll coach you. We'll get you in the right direction. But we do it. You know, when you look at, one of the reasons why, you know, we're going to be, a, you know, like I said, employee owned company is because every single person started with e to Perform. You know, I, I think there's only one person in the whole organization because she has a very special skill set. But even her, you know, has sort of kind of moved into the way that we think, you know. We didn't ask her or make her do that. She just chose to do it. Um, but, you know, the fact that we can do this, you know, every day of our life, you know, is is pretty special. I mean, there's really not, you know, not a lot of diets, you know. CEO of Weight Watchers ain't doing Weight Watchers every day. You know what I mean?
1: Exactly, and I think that that's kind of – you know, it kind of tells something when the people that are coaching you, the people that are guiding you practice what they preach, you know, it's when you know, it's kind of like you're, when you're younger and your parents tell you not to do something you see them doing it, you know, and you're like, how are you going to tell me, you know, I can't do this when you, you know, or, or anybody for that matter, you know, you have to practice what you preach and, you know, and actually, you know, you're, you're walking along the journey with them because you're on your own journey.
0: Yeah, and, you know, kind of getting back to that whole, you know, addiction cycle and stuff like that, one of the reasons why I kind of had to move on from that at at a certain point was because that was a rigid approach, you know. And even though, you know, I had no, you know, thoughts about drinking or using drugs – it was really like this really, you know, you had to do this, and it was very specific, and I felt very – because I, I wasn't just sober. I was a counselor. You know, I worked at the facilities. And so I didn't feel like I could ask clients to do something if I didn't hold myself to that same standard. And that's why I, I – you know i don't necessarily believe in that model you know as much as i did at that time because i think the rigidity of it you know causes more problems than it helps and that's why you know a lot of those facilities and stuff struggle um there's a lot of great introspection. I have no negative things to say about, you know, um, my experiences with that and, and the relationships that I developed through that. But, you know, when you look at what allows you to recover from something like that, it really is the connections that you're making with the people. It's not like, you know, if you were in drug treatment, you know um, you know, you can't cuss. You know, you can't do this. You can't do that. There were a lot of rules about all the things that you could do. And I, you know, once again, I totally get it. You know, you should wake up at a certain time. Your shoes should be clean. You know, all that other type of stuff. What I'm saying, though, is that, you know, life doesn't work like that. Life throws you curveballs. Life, you know, has you in a situation where your dad's calling you a loser, you know, and you have to stand up for yourself and, you know. Um, I think when you have a support system in place and you're surrounded by love, you know, I mean, people are going to think that I am like the most, you know, touchy feely guy on the planet. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I really, I really, you know, I do, I am a big believer in that idea. Um. Okay. So for this, if you're new, this isn't really like a Q&A kind of thing. It's really more we take a topic and we sort of break it down. That's why we kind of wanted to do this whole idea of taking ownership for your, your journey. I mean the last thing I wanted to end on with this is you know, just because we're trying to get you to have a better understanding of your relationship with food doesn't mean that we're not committed to you seeing results And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be committed seeing results. One of the things that I will often say to my uh, group coaching clients is, if you're going to enter a performance-focused fat loss phase and you're excited about it, and they'll say, yeah, yeah, I'm totally excited about it. It's like, good, remember that five weeks from now because it's going to get a little hard, you know, and you're going to have to have resolve at that point. The problem is, is that if you do – a 6 month plan you know it's hard to keep your resolve for 6 months you know and that's why we can sort of walk people through and why you know ultimately they see fat lost up and fat lost down and that's sort of the big secret to eat for them. not that it's a big secret i, I basically <laughs> I basically tell it all the time, so it's like the worst kept secret ever. All right, you guys. Well, I appreciate everybody being here. It's nice having a lot of new people on board, and it's really exciting, you know, being part of each form at this point. You know, Um, we're certainly seeing a lot of people very interested in what we're doing, and uh, we're excited to be able to help you guys. So we are going to let you guys go. April, did you want to say goodbye? Good night, everyone. And Kira is still still napping back there so we'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Uh.